0: everybody my name is dallas post and i am your host for the post money plan podcast as always i believe empowerment comes through knowledge so my purpose here is to inform educate and stimulate thoughts on topics within personal finance economics and investing don't forget you can find us at postmoneyplan.com or search the post money plan in the itunes podcast app or in google play so today we're going to be talking about the economic impacts of disasters and more specifically talking about the impacts of Hurricane Harvey, because I'm actually based here in Houston and got to experience it myself. So I have Reid Ianson on the show with me again, who's been on the show previously, where we've talked about unemployment and as an economist, I thought it'd be interesting to get his perspective on some of the immediate short-term and then some of the longer-term impacts of the economic impacts of events and natural disasters, and specifically Harvey on Houston. So welcome again to the show, Reed.
1: Hey, Dallas. How you doing, man?
0: Good. So I just want to go over some quick facts on the hurricane. Uh, probably people have heard this a million times by now, but the main brunt of the storm yeah, I think it hit landfall on the 25th of August, and then 26th was really like the big rainfall and, and coming into Houston, and then Sunday the 27th was also pretty bad too. When it hit land, it was a Category 4 storm, 130 mile an hour wind, so it was pretty intense, and even by the time it got to Houston, it, it was still pretty bad. And they said it dropped almost 52 inches of rainfall just east of Houston, which was just shy of the US record, which was actually out in Hawaii from some hurricane. The last that I saw, it was said that it has killed about 50 people, displaced a million people throughout not just Houston, but all the area that the hurricane hit and damaged over 200,000 homes. And even left now, there's still 35,000 people that are in shelters and in other accommodation like the convention center downtown the NRG Stadium, and uh, lots of other smaller shelters. From what I saw and know, most of the flooding in Houston receded after a couple days, but we saw that there, there's still some areas that are underwater, which makes for horrible recovery and devastating damage because when you have water sitting there for like two weeks, it's, it's not going to be good. And that was mostly due
1: to the big reservoirs that had to be released yeah, you know, into these
0: neighborhoods. But just to give a little bit more, uh, traffic is still terrible. Oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, I, I I think Beltway was closed up until two yeah. days ago. Commutes around town are just uh, like <laughs> sometimes three times as long as they normally would be, with some of the major highways shut down. Um, fortunately, that's starting to ease up. In terms of the cost, it only of, <laughs> took a week. <laughs> <laughs> in in terms of the cost of the damage, uh, it's still being calculated as claims go into insurance companies and the government is sorting out what their relief is going to be from FEMA and all that kind of stuff. But the estimates that I've seen, they're saying a, from 150 to 190 billion dollars. And just to put that in perspective, Katrina was just shy of 110 billion dollars. So we're well above what Katrina cost. And then and then Hurricane Sandy was $75 billion. So looking at like half the cost. And that was in Manhattan. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah, New York yeah. and, and then uh, Hurricane Ike, that was only $38 billion. So just having covered those facts, I th- thought it'd be interesting for people to hear some personal anecdotes from us since we were here in Houston. So what was going on? Like, where were you when the storm hit? They started talking about it. I think on Thursday, people were running out to all the grocery stores and buying everything up. And people were putting pictures on Facebook of empty shelves at the grocery stores. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, oh, this is ridiculous. And even Friday, when they were saying the storm was supposed to hit, nobody was out. Like, people didn't even go to, into my office. And I was there all day. Like, the weather was fine. I took a picture of nice skies. I had a nice view of the city no one's out, and then uh, nothing happened on Friday.
1: Yeah, I I went to work on Friday, but I've lived in Houston for almost 20 years. I definitely had a bad feeling about this storm, and I don't know why. I think the models, probably four days out, were predicting that we were going to get a lot of rain, and they really didn't change over that four-day kind of like pre-storm period before it came on, on shore. And so definitely like Monday or Tuesday... I was starting to not feel great, and I was—I was definitely one of those people that went out on Wednesday and got a bunch of supplies because I—I didn't feel good about it. But I mean, yeah, I was—I was at work on Friday, but then you know Saturday hit. See, I remember on Saturday, that was when we were supposed to start getting a lot of rain, and there was no one like there was no one out and about on Saturday during the day, and we didn't get that much rain and so I yeah during the day
0: it was actually fine
1: yeah and I remember a lot of people were like oh you know we're probably fine then it's we're you know we're probably not going to get a lot of rain and a lot of people went out that night to watch the the big uh, pay-per-view fight and about I don't know about 11 p.m. the rain just hit Houston really hard and I remember watching the news from my just my apartment here near the med center in Houston and there's just people stranded everywhere because they had thought this that the storm wasn't was a no show and all of that and then it really started to materialize it was kind of
0: crazy actually <clears throat> so then once the heavy rain started Saturday night you were just here bunkered in
1: yeah yeah i just i had enough food and stuff to last a while so i was just at my apartment sunday comes and there's probably 5 feet of water around my whole apartment complex so you really couldn't go anywhere. I was kind of stuck. So, you know, I was just kind of glued to the news, basically glued to the news the whole week. Um, I think so many people were. <laughs> yeah. And just watching the the rescues. Thankfully, I'm on the second floor. So, you know, I didn't flood here. But, you know, all day there was probably 30 or 40 high water rescues within a mile of me alone and these coast guard helicopters just kept coming over all day long these big orange helicopters and you could look out my window and see these rescue boats bringing people to like this dry spot were the streets nearby flooded oh yeah really flooded uh, like buffalo speedway which is kind of a a large more well known residential street in Houston it was like under 6 feet of water it was <laughs> it was craziness and so like all these homes in the, off, off of this residential street were just totally underwater and people were having to get rescued. But I mean, it was amazing because I wake up Monday morning and it was drained. Like everything was gone, which is I think kind of a sign of how well where I live drains. I and mean, I'm located really close to Bray's Bayou. So that was really where our water came from and that bayou drained really well. So I decided my parents live in Friendswood which is kind of on the south side of the city heading towards Galveston. And that was definitely one of, if not the most hard hit areas. Yeah, was that's the right. Yeah, it was the corridor really along I-45 heading to Galveston. Dickinson and Lamarck and Friendswood and Leak City all were in really bad shape. So, you know, I wake up Monday morning and I thought, oh, the storm, you know, it looks like it's passing over. It actually wasn't raining at the time and it had drained away. And so I decided to, not probably my smartest move, but I drove out to Friendswood and was definitely like driving on the wrong side of the freeway. (laughs) But I, I managed to make it out there and was able to find some back roads and got to my parents' house. But literally an hour later, it starts raining again. And I was completely flooded in again. So it was craziness. So you got stuck at their house. I was stuck at their house. And honestly, I saw in Friendswood it was really crazy because There was like 40 National Guard troops. There was like 10 like huge tanks that were like rolling through the street. And I go kayaking like I get on my kayak in front of my house (laughs) and I kayak all the way to like the main street in the city. And I was kayaking over cars. The water was probably like 30 feet deep in some of these areas where these creeks had just been completely obliterated mostly because of the backup from Clear Creek which is just a water system a little bit further downstream from Friendswood and it had just backed up so much due to the storm surge and the amount of rain that it was just un it was a am- it was unbelievable so
0: yeah I was I was stuck there for 2 days before I could leave <laughs> and then you, the highways cleared up and you were able to make it back to your place
1: yeah on Wednesday morning I I came back I barely made it because everything was still pretty flooded and then started just helping with relief efforts in the city after that. So I guess that's kind of my story. Thankfully, my parents didn't get water in their house, although it was, it was probably two inches, two or three inches from getting in their house. But thankfully, pretty close call. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was Monday night. Actually, we got Monday through Monday night. We got about 15 inches of rain that day alone and so we were me and my dad were up all night just we would go out we would wake up every 30 minutes check it it got closer and closer for like five hours and thankfully the rain stopped because we were about to have to start moving moving stuff you know to our second story and it would not have been fun so thankful for that and a lot of people are way worse off than than me and my family
0: unfortunately so i guess that's my story I actually also live close to the med center, uh, just on the other side from, from where you're at. And I think I was home during the, the day earlier in sat on Saturday, and it wasn't raining, like you said. And then went out to a friend's house in the Heights, which is about 20-minute drive in regular conditions from my place. And we're there, and like you said, like people were trying to watch the fight, and so there were maybe a dozen of us and then the storm hits and it starts pouring at 10 or 11 p.m. and i think one person left and they they just said bye they didn't say like hey everyone we should probably go home <laughs> they're just like okay bye guys <laughs> oh my gosh so one person makes it home before the storm actually gets bad the storm like pours a ton of rain very quickly and their street there at the house that i was at it started to get, I think there were three inches of water on the, on that street pretty quickly. So we're all just kind of watching it for a bit and enjoying it. And then, <laughs> enjoying and, it. And, then, and then it lets up a little bit. And we think, oh, the water's starting to build up. So maybe we should move our cars to a bit higher ground. I had parked my car near a drain, so I thought it would be fine. But it seemed like the water was even high near the drain for whatever reason. So I tried to move my car. I got out. I took one step. I'm on like in three inches of water. And then I took another step. And all of a sudden, I fall all the way up to my waist in water. Yeah. It was just <laughs> some, some giant hole oh my filled gosh. with water. And I uh, actually <sighs> cut my shin. Oh, And wow. uh, it was kind of bleeding all over the place. I didn't even notice it. It didn't hurt. But uh, I got back onto their porch after I'd moved my car up to higher ground. And blood is like running down my foot. And they're like, oh, hey, there's something wrong with your foot. Oh, my gosh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to deal with that for a bit but the water then keeps coming down really hard and we could see at the end of his block it was a foot deep or so and what like, you couldn't drive through it so about 10 of us ended up getting stuck in this little apartment saturday <laughs> night like tiny apartment kind of old old construction he had a big dog with lots of fur and we tracking all our wet <laughs> shoes in there so it was not the most comfortable situation that 10 of us got stuck there that night the next day, it had stopped raining for a bit. There was a little bit of respite. And they had said on the news that it was the storm was going to dump a whole lot more and it was going to get worse. And I was thinking, man, there's 10 of us stuck here. If we're here for like three days and sleeping in these conditions, you know, where there are like two people on one bed, two people on an air mattress, two of us on the couch, another person on a sofa chair, and like two people on the floor... I was thinking, like, if we have to do this, like, three four days, it's going to be really bad. Especially then we're, like, running out of food and supplies. So, like, while it's daylight out, it may take me a while, but I'm going to see if I can try to make it home. So this is on Sunday when it's still supposed to get worse. But there was a little bit of let up on the rain. So I, I try to leave. And I drive. I try to go direct at first. And 45 pull up to the on-ramp. And it's <laughs> completely underwater by, like, yeah. 10 feet. <laughs> <laughs> So then I turn around, I, I try another way that's going south. That bayou is way over flooded. All those roads trying to go south were cut off by water. I kept trying to go around and couldn't find a spot. I ended up having to go all the way from the height. So mind you, I'm trying to go south from the heights to Med Center, 20 minute drive in normal conditions through trial and error of like trying to go south and having to go further and further west. I ended up going all the way out to Highway 6. Oh my gosh. Down Highway 6, (laughs) past Sugarland, and then back in across, all the way east, across 288 to get back into the med center to my my house. It took me like three and a half, four some hours on Sunday, and I was just getting home at maybe 5 p.m. or something before it was getting dark, fortunately. And so I got to my place, I knew my place was fine, because I live on the third floor, And my roommate had said it was dry around the area. But the 288, the highway right next to my house, was like six feet underwater. Yeah. But I was able to get into my place and then just hunkered down the rest of Sunday and Monday. And then by Tuesday, one road near me was cleared up enough that I could go down to the convention center and try to help out there. Mm -hmm. And then by Thursday, I think the highway finally drained near me. Mm -hmm. And I was able to take the highway into town to continue to try to help out there. And then, at least from my perspective, it's just been an effort of seeing lots of people trying to help other people. And that's what's been really oh, cool yeah. about the storm, seeing the, um, the humanitarian effort and, and people helping people and caring for other people, setting aside the differences and that kind of stuff and not worrying about that stuff and just worrying about helping other people out or helping each other out. Uh, it was crazy the first few days in the convention center that it was a packed house. I think they said they, had, they were at capacity with 5,000 guests or whatever you want to call them not including all the volunteers and everyone. Mm. And so they had to overflow to NRG and had a few thousand there. And yeah, the first several days were pretty crazy. Shell shock almost. I don't know. It was strange. It was hard to process it all, really.
1: Especially once you saw all of that stuff going on. It was like I didn't even know what day it was for <laughs> for a while. <laughs> like Yeah. I was going to sleep at weird times. I didn't know what was going on. It was it was craziness for sure. <laughs> yeah, it could be disorienting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. More than anything, it just it's amazing how it throws your routine off and you're just almost just in disbelief about what's going on around you and yet you're trying to help if you haven't been affected too badly and if you've been affected, just trying to deal with it as best you can and for me personally, like I had to be out there. I had to be helping because there was just so many people just in need. I mean, It was crazy. And even now with the amount of homes that have been underwater, you know, but you know, we push forward
0: every day. So, yeah, with that backdrop, I just wanted to get your insight talking about the economic impacts of Harvey and what we'll see, what we've seen already, but then what we expect to see also in the future from an economic perspective. What are some immediate things that come to mind for you?
1: Yeah. So in terms of just how it will affect the region, I think there are several things that you have to kind of consider and think about. Longer term, I don't think it will be good for Houston um, because especially younger people, I believe will be less willing and likely to want to move here and invest in this city, especially in real estate. And that's not good for Houston long-term. I think just generally demand
0: over the long-term might be weak <clears throat> and demand is pretty important for uh, economic stimulation.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure and just and just you want a vibrant younger workforce to kind of drive your economy and and I don't know, I think I think it will be a problem for Houston longer term. Shorter term, it's going to be this is strange, but it will probably be good for Houston because You will have a lot of government money and a lot of private spending that happens to rebuild infrastructure, rebuild homes and businesses. We're talking in the magnitudes of billions of dollars, and that's really a direct fiscal stimulus into Houston. The Gulf Coast of, of Southeast Texas, really, all the way down to Corpus Christi, I mean, many of these areas will receive billions of dollars in, in aid funding just, just, to, just to help with the rebuilding process. And I think that will probably be a short-term boon to the economy. You know, it's, it's hard to make extrapolations about how these events will economically affect an area because a lot of it is how they affect the psyche of those who are looking to invest money and, and take part in a, in a market
0: That's an important economic point. It's just that people's behavior is so important to an economy. What people choose and choose not to do, what they invest in and what they choose not to invest in, determines the course of where the economy goes and what grows and what fails. And if people are scared away from investing in a place, that, that can kill a place. But at the same time, if there's something that attracts people somewhere or there, there's opportunity that's going to attract people and, and encourage investment. So I guess what you're saying is that there's a, a risk that uh, people would be scared in the future because of real estate and, and future hurricanes to uh, invest potentially. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I mean, I think that's been an issue for a long time. I mean, you look at the Gulf Coast and it's like, oh, there's a risk of investing there. But people see a Harvey occur, which is which is an absolute disaster, really. And that affects people significantly, for sure. Especially when you have a lot of alternatives in the United States where you can invest your money or,
0: or move to if you want or find a job. Not to negate what you're saying, but just to positively frame it. <laughs> I'm always uh, up for positively framing yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so think about this. In World War II, a, a lot of Europe was bombed and so cities were destroyed. So I lived in the Netherlands for a few years and the Netherlands made it out pretty well, but Rotterdam got bombed, whereas like Amsterdam and The Hague and some of the other cities did not. Mm-hmm. So now, today, fast forward 65 years or whatever, Amsterdam and The Hague are still kind of old, in my opinion, decadent <laughs> European <laughs> cities, whereas Rotterdam is now a more modernized, built-up metropolis that has skyscrapers and had that development happen because it had to be rebuilt because it was bombed, and in that sense, it's kind of like the phenomenon of a forest fire, where a forest fire is devastating, and it kills a lot of things, but then it leaves fertile ash behind that then is nutrients to the soil, and new plants grow and grow stronger the the next time over, so in that sense, there is an opportunity where... There's devastation, there's loss, but then it gives room, like you're saying, if there was poor city planning in the past, or there essentially wasn't city planning in certain aspects, then it it almost opens the door for opportunity to create new, thought-out city planning and and infrastructure-based. Yeah, the
1: the problem with that is we're not seeing that in Houston. (laughs) So, I mean, right now, the majority of houses that flood, people rebuild them, and people just remodel them and they flood again and they remodel them again. You go around to a lot of areas in Houston that are very prone to flooding and there isn't a lot of let's move people out of this area or try and build it up. It's really just let's rebuild on existing land which is it's ineffective because you're going to see the same thing happen over and over again. A prime example well, well, a prime example is is Mireland. It flooded 2 years ago, it flooded last year, it flooded this year. The majority of those homes have been restored now three years in a row. <laughs> yeah. And that's a lot of communities in Houston that have done that. The point you make is, is a good point, but you actually have to see change. People can't just go do
0: the same thing again. Yeah, yeah, it depends <laughs> on the context. You're right. I'm sure if Atlantis was a real place, people continued to live there until it was underwater. <laughs> Probably right. Yeah. People aren't going to throw in the flat. Well, aren't going to give up until it, there is no choice. But... To bring it back to the economic impacts the way i'm kind of thinking of it is you have the personal impacts and the societal impacts mm. on a personal level you had tons of people that are really hurt and feeling it from the mere fact that their house was a foot or two feet underwater and now they've had to go in there and that's what a lot of the re- relief efforts have been teams of people have been going into houses and just taking out all the wet furniture and throwing it out on the front lawn. Tearing out all the sheetrock that was all wet, tearing out the floors or carpets, all that stuff, and having to let it air out and bleaching the place. People, you know, if they have lived in a place a long time, it's their possessions. That's a lot of what they have. And just to see it all have to be like thrown out on the curb, literally. it's Yeah. I, I, I've seen it where it's very emotional for people, hard for them to let go. And especially, you know, as a bystander, you can say, like, oh, that's trash. Just like throw it away. Like it's it's toast. But that's their memories and things, and, yeah. their feelings, and it, it's yeah. hard for them. I can see that if someone lives in somewhere under a floodplain that keeps getting flooded, mm-hmm. if they grew up there and that's where they feel like they belong, it's, it's hard for them to let that go. Yeah. Yeah, so on the personal level, I'd say you have people whose homes have been destroyed, but then you're going to have the time it takes them to repair and rebuild. So then that means that's time and effort that they're having to deal with that and people that are helping them. And then that means, you know, several weeks probably for most people where they're not able to do their regular jobs and occupied with that stuff. Besides the cost for them to repair all those things and then maybe the insurance claims. So then then you start to get into the societal impacts of then the insurance companies taking hits of all the claims yeah. they have to pay out. The home damage, the car damage, the different even infrastructure damage. Then FEMA... What I've been hearing is FEMA was worried they were going to run out of money because the amount of claims they had coming in, that their, their process apparently for paying things out is a lot more streamlined nowadays with electronic processing and everything. So the amount that they were paying out, how fast claims were coming in, they were worried they were going to run out of money. So that's why I think they were concerned about Congress passing the budget thing. are we always worried about that? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> But... Uh, FEMA's, you know, forking out money left and right. So what you're saying about the stimulative process of it, it is a cost to the American taxpayer, but then that money is coming into people here in Houston. Another kind of derivative effect, economic effect, is the increased motivation for productivity of people. There's so many people that have been affected. And then emotionally, we're stimulated to say like, okay, we want to help and recover and, and make repairs. So then, now we have teams of people go to houses and gut them out and rebuilding things that normally isn't happening, where people are putting in more effort, you know, doing whatever they can and stretching themselves further. So it's just from that like really uh, theoretical economic angle, you're increasing the productivity of Houstonians, at least that I've seen. Yeah,
1: it's a mixed bag. I mean, you might you might see that a bit when it comes to maybe construction, but I think. From a business perspective, you have a large loss in productivity because you have full businesses, for example, right. BP, their employees won't be able to go to an office for six months to a year because of the amount of water damage there. So, I mean, you have thousands of employees who are displaced and, uh, right, right.
0: you know, so it's, it's a mixed bag, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yes. But a lot of the productivity that I'm talking about isn't going to be measured in things like GDP. You're not going to see the gain, the benefits of that. You're only going to see the hits to things. Yeah,
1: hey, right. you might see a gain. I mean, you know, if, if you're knocking down houses, they can get remodeled more quickly. I mean, you, you know, you, who knows? I mean, you, you could see it in, in your data. I, and I did have a friend
0: asking me about uh, should I be buying construction stocks <laughs> and uh, the, the companies that make sheet uh, sheetrock <laughs> honestly yeah, my buddy was
1: uh, he bought he bought a bunch of Costco stock <laughs> with uh, all of these storms unfortunately hitting the United States. you know people always looking to to make a buck for sure
0: well, actually earlier this week, after the impact of Harvey and with the warnings of Irma. There was a a concentrated Florida insurer that was hit really hard. They went down twenty percent earlier in the week because people were just anticipating all the claims that would be coming into them. They're a really concentrated insurer, so they they took it pretty hard on the chin. Oh wow <sighs> and actually, a lot of Gulf Coast refineries were offline for a while, and some still are I think yeah, so
1: about twenty just over twenty. of U.S. refining capacity was down for about a week solid. Uh, The Motiva refinery located in Port Arthur, which is the largest refiner of crude oil in the United States, uh, went down a few days later when Harvey moved through the Beaumont-Port Arthur area. It's caused huge supply disruptions. Ships largely from Mexico and Saudi Arabia are unable to enter the Houston port or the Port Arthur port they were not able to enter the Corpus Christi port until several days ago even exports out of the United States namely out of Corpus Christi was were limited for a while so these changes in flows mostly by closures of the ports due to damage or flooding and then limitations in refining capacity have had a tremendous tremendously huge effect on global hydrocarbon trade flows Throughout the world, whether you're a foreign country importing uh, U.S. crude, or you are an exporter uh, sending crude to the United States, or you're a domestic refiner, these supply chains were broken significantly. And it continues now because you've had Irma move through the Bahamas. There is an extensive amount of crude and hydrocarbon and product storage in the Bahamas, in St. Croix, in the Caribbean that are basically shut in now because of damage to those ports and so you're going to continue to see pretty large trade imbalances and just where flows are coming from and where they're going to and that's resulted in high prices at the pump in texas that will probably continue for another week or so at least if not longer Hurricane Harvey had a huge effect on the hydrocarbon market, especially Pad 3, which is the
0: the Gulf Coast sector of the United States hydrocarbon market. You actually saw Arbob gasoline futures spike up because, you know, you had the refineries offline. So it's not that you don't have crude oil, you have less refining capacity to make the, the gasoline. So... Well, yeah, that end,
1: there were, as of Thursday, over 30 ships in the Galveston Lightering Zone, which is just a place maybe 100 miles offshore where ships park and wait to enter port. You had 30-plus ships loaded with crude waiting to enter Port Arthur, waiting to enter Galveston. They couldn't—or waiting to enter the Houston port, and they were unable to due to damage, due to limitations. And so you had— Nearly 20 million barrels in floating storage just sitting off the coast
0: of the Texas Gulf Coast. (laughs) Less serious, but I know someone who was on a Caribbean cruise at the time of the hurricane, and they were supposed to come back in on, I think, the Tuesday. So it it hit on Saturday, Sunday was bad. They were supposed to come back in on Tuesday, but the port was closed, and they were stuck, their cruise ship was stuck in the Gulf somewhere. And I think they eventually were able to port in New Orleans. Oh <laughs> man, well <laughs> But they got a, a few extra bonus days on the boat, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they were real disappointed. <laughs> so I, I actually even noticed that uh, gas at the pump spiked up because yes. it was two fifteen or so before the storm, something like yeah. that. And then I filled up a couple days ago and it was two seventy. Yeah. So that was a pretty quick spike. Yeah,
1: yeah, you had a, a solid 40 to 50 cent spike for sure. And utilization rates, which are basically how much crude a refinery is running, are at all time lows right now. So stuff that people do not think about unless you're in the, the oil and gas market, people start to think about because their pocketbook has to start answering for these the the issues that
0: we've seen. I don't know anyone or haven't gotten to experience this personally, but I would also be concerned for small business owners in Houston and surrounding areas who, you know, they have all their money in and all their assets in like one small enterprise. And if that got wiped out and they weren't covered by flood insurance, uh, that could be absolutely devastating for people. Get insured. I mean, that's how you protect yourself against this kind of stuff. Well, actually, that's a good point. Just relief aid in general is... I'd say subsidized in three forms. One, just like people wanting to help other people Mm -hmm. that helps cover some of the cost to people and their loss. But then the other main way is insurance, like you say, flood insurance and those kind of things. And then now FEMA has come in and is also providing uh, the government insurance. Who knows what long-term impacts that'll have, but... Overall, I think the biggest hits were to people that whose homes were flooded. You know, even if they get money out of insurance, it's still like they, they lose their home, their, some of their memories, and mm-hmm. it, all the time and effort to rebuild and recover. Even if you throw some money at them, it, it doesn't like just make it okay. Yeah. yeah. And then, like I said, the, the small businesses. If there were small businesses that weren't covered by insurance, yeah. I would be scared for them. I wasn't able to find out about this, but... If there are any local regional insurers, they might be getting hit pretty hard by uh, insurance claims. Just to explain something for the audience, a lot of times insurance companies will actually also buy insurance for themselves to cap their risk. So in the same way that you buy insurance to limit how much you end up having to pay for things, you pay a premium and then you know that you're covered for big unknown expenses. Insurance companies will do the same thing. They'll buy what's called reinsurance insurance for their insurance, so that if there's some disaster like this, and all of a sudden they're hit by a lot of claims, if it's over certain limits, depending on their policies, then the reinsurance company comes in and starts paying them out. So each company is going to be different, but that also plays in here with Harvey and potentially with Irma. If there's big enough losses, if there's catastrophic losses, then reinsurance companies can also take it under the chin, and it's kind of the cascading domino effect. And not to neglect just the American taxpayer via FEMA. (laughs) Okay, to wrap things up, you were kind of already talking about this, but just wanted to get your opinions on some high-level ways that we, on an individual level, but then also on a societal level, can be trying to prepare and mitigate some of the losses due to some of these big natural disasters.
1: These events that we're seeing are occurring at a higher rate as we move through time, and so there should be an expectation that what we've seen will continue to occur in areas, as unfortunate as that is. As an individual, if you own a home in an area, there's not much you can do. But if you're looking to buy a home or you're looking to live in an area, understand how much water needs to fall for you to flood. Look at your your elevation maps just to have an understanding of that kind of stuff. Uh, make sure you're not buying a home behind a new neighborhood that's built three feet higher, so all the water flows into your neighborhood. And this is true for any uh, natural disaster, especially hurricanes and flooding. If you're making a personal decision, there's not a lot you can do, but at least just understand what you're buying into and be okay with the risk you're taking.
0: And buy insurance. So the way I think of it is life is really valuable. Property can be rebuilt, but you can't get back life, this loss. So if it comes to a hurricane's coming into an area that is expected to be really devastating, okay, take some inconvenience. If you have to go somewhere else for a little bit or evacuate for a little bit, maybe you miss a day of work or something, but then not being stuck underwater where people are dying, it's a lot easier to repair a house than losing a loved one or something like that. When you're talking about the the flooding situation, not only living in a slightly higher area, but constructing drainage seems to be a big issue. If a place doesn't drain properly, then water is just going to build up there. And even, even like small bits of rain are just going to build up mm-hmm. and cause flooding pretty easily. So if an area isn't built with good drainage, that's a problem in and of itself. So from an infrastructure perspective, Making sure that low-lying areas drain well, I think is pretty valuable. And having places for the water to go is a big deal. Anyway, the takeaways here is that hopefully being prepared for things will help people to mitigate losses and plan better for the future for things and reduce the impact of devastating events. Anyway, thanks again for coming on the show. Oh,
1: happy to do it, man. Anytime.
0: I love coming around, talking about interesting (laughs) topics, my friend. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel on the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play.